it really was this amazing opportunity to like both grow a company and just to change an industry. I think when I look at like what I've done since then is like there's this narrative of wanting to work in places where it's transformative and where I can help grow the organization, but but also we're just like changing elements of the world. One of the rare few who knew he wanted to be a strategy consultant, Adam Medros embarked on a career that could let him use a loud and decisive voice. But jumping into various leadership positions and companies, he realized that there's actually something to quieting the voice. Find out how having opinions and holding them lightly can be the path to success on today's Roads Taken with me, Leslie Jennings Rowley. Today, I'm here with my longtime friend, Adam Medros, and we are going to talk about seizing opportunity and figuring out where the trip will take you. Nice to have you here, Adam. Good to catch up with you again, Leslie. So we started the same way every time, Adam, I ask the same questions. They are, when we were in college, who were you? And when we were getting ready to leave, who did you think you would become? Yeah, the two dreaded questions and very, uh, you know, the ones that keep you up at night independent of this show. Um, uh, let's see. I mean, who was I when I got to college? I think like having listened to a bunch of these episodes, I, I think um, like a lot of people, I was, you know, I think there's things we know, right? Like I was good at school, right? I was good at high school at least, right? You know, curious to some extent, um, driven uh, to some extent, uh, but still trying to figure out, you know, what it really was that that drove me. The one big difference, I, I think for me, was that I had taken a gap year between uh, high school and Dartmouth. So I had actually been originally admitted in the class of 95. Then I deferred for a year. I went off to Germany for a year and went to high school again, um, which was very low stakes because I didn't uh, need the grades. So I spent a year um, drinking a lot of beer and having fun, but also reading and just kind of, you know, thinking a bit about who I was and who I wanted to be. I don't know how well that went because I still think like, you know, when I left Dartmouth, I was certainly four years older. I, I, I knew I wanted to be a strategy consultant and we can talk about, you know, why I thought that. But yeah, I, I was somebody that I think at Dartmouth realized that I wasn't as good as, at school as I thought I was. I probably, uh, you know, wasn't as focused as I needed to be. And uh, uh, but, you know, it was all it was good. I had a lot of fun and uh, certainly it was a wonderful time. I think you might be the only person that I've met thus far who said, I knew I wanted to be a strategy consultant. Yeah. That that typically is like, a, I don't know what I'm going to do. I think I'll be a consultant. Um, or look, there's this uh, recruiting event. I don't know. Let me figure it out. But you knew. So what is what? A, what did you know? Because what I knew about the strategy consulting world probably fit in the palm of my hand at that age. And then how did you know that was what was drawing you? Yeah, I, I mean, it's so hard to go back and think about like, you know, what really was it? But I, I knew I wanted to do something in business, right? I was an economics and German major, double major, right? But like the economics was the closest thing I could get to business. You know, I don't really know what the motivations were behind the idea of business, but I had worked at Feldberg Library for a couple of years. So I spent a lot of time like around the B-School professors, like photocopying articles for them. And, and as a result, I got a lot of exposure to these like different companies that recruited, particularly at Tuck. And so I got really familiar with like strategy consulting. And certainly, you know, I knew all the big names, McKinsey and BCG, but this, this is fun story of like, 
there's this company called the Parthenon Group, which is where I ultimately ended up. They didn't recruit on campus. They were this small company, boutique consulting firm, and they were kind of like my like little secret, right? And then our senior year, they decided to come recruit on campus. <laughs> and and there was a ton of demand. And actually I didn't I didn't get an interview. And I I actually wrote one of the partners a, a letter and said, like, hey, I really want to work for the company. Here's why. And uh, over homecoming weekend, he and I ended up chatting. He was up with a bunch of his friends and over a game of Pong, actually. Because he, he, Was he a Dartmouth guy? Yeah, he was, not only was he a Dartmouth guy, he was an SAE guy. And so in the middle of a game of Pong, he turned to me and said, why do you want to be a strategy consultant? Um, and uh, <laughs> like, and that, clear the mind, clear the yeah, mind. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, that started a process of, of me then interviewing. And uh, that's where I ended up. Okay. That is a great story. So, you know, your own fraternity. He even gave me some crazy brain teaser and I was just like, really, we're doing this now? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's a good um, test, I suppose. Yeah, but it, um, it worked out all right. Um, but yeah, yeah. Then, you know, the why behind it, I think was like, I, I loved the sort of like ADD sort of constant change of different problems and, and the analysis and like trying to figure out what was going on. I think in retrospect, the part that I really loved was like constructing a narrative of like, what's the problem and how do you solve it? And what are your options? That all really like resonated with me. Yeah. So how did you think about that ADD part when I know you went to Harvard Business School? Yeah. Um, how did you kind of track yourself through HBS with that in mind? And then you, you were a little disparate from that afterwards so yeah yeah no so i mean so actually the first big thing was um you know 1998.com boom one of the things i realized in strategy consulting was i loved all those things i just talked about that analysis and like problem solving but i gravitated towards these like technology clients right um and what i loved i found myself gravitating towards when i went to the client was like i wanted to talk to the engineers and i wanted to talk to the people that were building stuff and and were working with tech and so that led to a job at Amazon in early 1999 and in finance, actually, which led to a job in product management. And then, you know, a sort of meandering road through a bunch of like bad startups to, uh, to Harvard Business School, as you said. So I think that was important because I what I realized in that sort of intervening time frame was I love the problem solving. You know, everybody, lots of consultants say this. They, they, they hate the handing it off and not implementing but more importantly, what I learned at Amazon and, and and a few other places was like how you implemented and like how you got things done, you know, in a consulting firm is like is all about power leverage, right? The CFO or the CEO has hired you and like you show up into people's office and, and you basically say like, I need this data and I need this and I need this. And, you know, then I'm going to do all this work and give you your answer. And if you want to implement it, great. And if you don't, don't. And I think like in industry, what I learned was like, yeah, that's that's all nice, but that's not how things get done. And, you know, I remember at one point saying to an engineer at Amazon, like, oh, I need this data for this thing. And they were like, OK, nice problem. Like I got 20 other things to do. Go get the data yourself. Right. Um, and so it just taught me a lot through business school and then into my you know job after business school uh, and career after business school is really about like, how do you get things done in an organization? That's the thing that's like, I think, been the, you know, the, the center part of my whole career. And that post business school world, those organizations that have, 
either tended to find you or you have yeah. found, have all had their distinct character and have been in really interesting places in their development. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> talk to me about that. You have a big smile for those of you who are just listening. Um, so tell us the tale because they're all really interesting. I feel like I'm, I've, I've been really lucky. Well, there, there was one misstep. I will tell you this fun story, um, which is like I came out of business school. I actually worked at monster.com for nine weeks um, right out of business school. It's not on my LinkedIn. It's not on my resume. And basically, I had this great job on paper coming out of business school. You know, it was still 2004 was still kind of low point in the economy, just emerging and getting better. I showed up and probably on day three, I came home and said to my wife, Jenny, you know, I don't know if I've made it. Like, this is a mistake, right? This place <laughs> is this place is messy in a lot of ways. And this went on for like a week or two. And, you know, keep in mind, post.com, right? Like lots of job hopping, lots of student debt, you know, one-year-old at home, right? And I think after a week or two of this, Jenny at some point said to me, she's like, look, either you need to like get out now and it never happened, or like you got to put your head down and just like persevere. And, and I was like, e so I called up a recruiter that I knew. And I was like, Larry, you got to find me any job in Boston, anything, right? Um, and he's like, yeah, there's this little travel company that just got bought by IAC. Founders are really analytical and, and interesting. You should go talk to them. Uh, and that got me to TripAdvisor. Um, so I was, I think, employee 35 there. We had already, you know, we had been bought by IAC. Um, but yeah, I started... Um, uh, and as a product manager, and I kind of worked my way from product management to doing, you know, uh, acquisition marketing, to then being the head of product, to then being on the exec team and, and basically running the product and content organization. In a lot of ways, it was, you know, it was a perfect organization for me, like growing all of these interesting problems that we were talking about, like, you know, just this constant need to kind of figure stuff out in a category that I loved, right? I love travel, you know, from my time in Germany, I had uh, in high school, I visited the Soviet Union. I, you know, I'd been like travel was just in the back of my mind, this amazing thing. And so it really was this amazing opportunity to like both grow a company and more importantly, like just to change an industry. That was a thing that I think when I look at like the, the, what I've done since then is like, there's this narrative of wanting to work in places where it's transformative and where I can help grow the organization, but but also we're just like changing elements of the world that I find fascinating. So yeah, I totally remember actually having lunch with you in Cambridge okay. just about the time you had just started at TripAdvisor. So now that mm. you mentioned Monster, I was like, oh yeah, I remember that story. But I also, I had just been in the travel industry and it was like, in the thick of it at 9-11, did yep. my MBA in Italy um, and came back and you were like, oh yeah, and we're going to change travel completely. And I was like, yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> now I look back going, oh yeah, you know, I should have known with Adam there, like he would totally change the industry. Yeah, um, it was so, great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't tell you the feeling of like traveling internationally and seeing a TripAdvisor sticker on a, like a window of a restaurant or a hotel or something and just thinking like, wow, they, you know, like we put that there and they care about, you know, what people are saying about them and we're helping people. And, you know, certainly there's lots of people who would come out and say like, yeah, but, you know, uh, some businesses suffered for that. And, you know, that's true. But they, they suffered, I, I think, 
for for reasonable reasons. <laughs> and so, as you said, that theme, though, of looking at an industry, kind of trying to shake it up or change it fundamentally, while at the same time building a business that was creating an environment and a culture and all those things was something that you kept doing, serially kept doing. Yeah. So, yeah, then the next one was another industry that desperately needs a little overhaul, right? Yeah, and I, I, I feel like I've been maybe a little bit less successful there, but, um, uh, <laughs> but you know, still. So yeah, I, I left TripAdvisor. When I decided to leave, I planned to take some time off and I, I had this checklist, right, of like what I wanted to do next. And, you know, in my mind, it was like, it had to be in Boston, right? Because I had kids in school and I wasn't going to move them. But, you know, it had to be consumer facing. It had to be, a, you know, from a role standpoint, I wanted something bigger than product. I wanted to be, you know, running the company and, you know, in a more meaningful way, it had to be something that I could wake up every day and feel like we were like impacting the world, right? That it, it was gonna, I love that feeling about TripAdvisor and I love, you know, it was very motivating. Um, and so I got a call to, for the COO job at a company called edX. It's a nonprofit founded by Harvard and MIT, basically online college courses, university grade courses, but trying to revolutionize both online learning pre-pandemic, right? This was something that was still very unusual and also trying to sort of break down the structure of a degree into smaller pieces. So this idea of micro bachelors or micro master's degrees, where why do you need to go get a two-year master's degree if you just need to basically do this, you know, one quarter of it in statistics or something for your job? So yeah, I was hired to come into a company that had been founded by academics, run by an academic board, you know, with some amazing names behind it and universities behind it, but trying to transform education. And, and part of my job was to like turn it into a more like a tech company, like fast moving, able to get things done really quickly, which was not in its DNA. And, uh, you know, I think we were somewhat successful. Uh, I was there for four years um, and we just actually announced or the company just announced that they were going to sell the assets to a for-profit company, which was a project that we actually started uh, about a year ago. In looking at how the education space is evolving, I, I think it's a, it's a great move. I think it's a good thing. I think education is really complicated. Uh, you know, the incentives are like really not well aligned. And I learned a lot about uh, faculty governance and all kinds of things that I didn't know about and not sure I want to know about anymore. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And so the TripAdvisor to edX move, like you realized your time was over yep. at TripAdvisor. You needed something new. Same thing can be said here. And so what was that thinking the next time? I'm sure there were still elements of it. Like, I want to go in. I want to, you know, be intrinsically involved in the, the building of this company. How has it changed a little bit this time? Yeah, I, I mean, this time it was a combination of a couple of things. I mean, one, as, as I mentioned, we were we started this process to take edX out of the nonprofit world and into the for-profit world. And that was really complicated for all the obvious reasons of just like the dynamics and what that implied for education. But it was it was necessary, you know, in large part because just like how the industry is evolving and the, the economics of the industry and, and the funding that's needed. So part of what drove it was, hey, we're, we're taking this in a direction that's just not going to be the right direction for me anymore in terms of my role and my career goals. Some of it was 
you know, really, it's a tough industry. And it's an industry where I felt like we would often have these conversations about what we should do, and then what we were allowed to do. And that's like, that just doesn't work for me, right? Like, um, I understand there are there are boundaries and lots of things. But, um, you know, this was often a case where we were talking about, like, let's run, let's run an experiment. And, you know, and look at the data and like, and make decisions based on that. And then we would get into this, like, well, this is the way we've always done it. And you can't do it that way. And I, I just don't operate well on that. So I made the decision that I, I was going to try to get the company to a good place in terms of the sale. And then I was going to, and I certainly had the option to like, stick with it and go um, work at the company that was buying uh, the company, which I, I met the team there. I love the team there. I think they're really passionate about where education is going. It just wasn't the right place for me anymore. And so that started a conversation with a Dartmouth alum and, and friend of mine who um, is a VC, a guy named Eric Paley. And he said to me like, hey, I have this portfolio company that's like growing really fast. But what they really need is somebody who's kind of like been there, done that. And can help them scale. And so, yeah, I joined a company called Embark, which is a dog genetics company. I I like to look at it as like, you know, pre-pandemic, I I was in travel. I got out of travel before the pandemic. You know, I got into education, which was great during the pandemic. And as we hopefully exit pandemic, you know, what what did we learn during the pandemic? How much we love our pets. So now I'm going to go help change the pet healthcare industry. I love it. And I will say this is one of the best named companies. I just think yeah. it's so, so great. So in trying to explain it, it's not the 23andMe for Fido. It, well, but not to figure out like who your daddy is. Right. <laughs> it's exactly. more, right. It's more, you know, what, what can this do for healthcare and, and therapeutics and that sort of thing? Yeah. So, so what does the company really do? And this is new. This is brand new. And so not you're you're no longer kind of changing an industry. You're like mashing up a few industries and creating a new industry. So talk to us about that. Yeah, that's that's right. I mean, what it, so it is fascinating. We 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 do to some extent the easiest way to think about Embark is 23andMe for dogs, right? We we give you genetic ancestry, we give you sort of health traits based on genetics for your dog. We can tell you relatives going back three generations. What's complicated about dogs, right, just on those three things alone, what's complicated about dogs is that dogs have been purpose-bred and inbred for so many years, right? So the, the genetic trees get very complicated and the sort of genetic health issues are meaningful. What's fascinating, and I am not a geneticist, and there's probably someone in our class that's going to listen to this and tell me that I got this all wrong, but what is fascinating is that dogs are actually a really interesting model for human health. They're probably the best mammal for modeling human health that exists, right? Uh, Dogs and humans share about 86% of their genetics. Dogs, you know, we all know they live seven times faster, right? So they live their lives seven times faster. They've been purpose-bred, which means they have a lot of genetic health issues because of the high level of inbreeding that they've had. And they are one of the few mammals that gets diseases that many humans get. So they get dementia. They get cancers they get diabetes, right? And so if you want to study human aging and you want to study a lot of human health conditions that don't show up until our 80s, right? And which, by the way, we, you know, it's hard to study them in humans. Dogs are a great model for that. And so part of what we're building is like a genetic database that allows us to go explore and find 
conditions that could be very meaningful for pet health and extending the life of your pets, which, you know, which is not trivial, but could have huge implications for doing research in human health. So your market that you're like immediate, if not primary market is consumer facing. Pet owners and breeders. Right. But down the line or kind of in an ancillary way, you're thinking, how do we connect with other medical research? Yeah. How, do, how will that work? Yeah. So that is, I think like there's kind of two branches to like what we think about. There's one branch, which is like, how do we help pet owners and breeders have healthier, longer living, better pets? Right. I mean, that's like the, that's the main purpose of this right now. Great. On the science side, the sort of second branch we're collecting a bunch of genetic data. We're collecting a bunch of what we, uh, what's called phenomic data, right? So like it's data that like is a, comes in things like surveys or activity trackers or things like that. And you can start to like mash up those data sources in ways that reveal things like, hey, all these dogs who got Lyme disease and had a serious version of Lyme disease all seem to share this same genetic piece of, uh, the, of, of their DNA. And so something about that piece of DNA is connected to Lyme disease severity. Um, yeah. and, and or, that could... or the half that have that genetic disease and got exercised in this sort of way, this frequency, right. like saw different yeah. uh, kind of outcome factors. That's really fascinating. Yeah. yeah. And so, so, you know, some point in the, you know, along the way, we're, we will build out, you know, more of us, um, the science part of our organization will get bigger. I doubt, I don't think we're going to build a pharma company. I don't think we're going to build, you know, but certainly there are lots of people that we can talk to that are doing really interesting research where dog genetic data could be fascinating for them to yeah, use. Yeah, for sure. No, so one of the things you said- And I get in, to look at dog pictures all day long, right? Oh, I mean, right, no, like, right, so, right. Best job ever. <laughs> <laughs> so how about what you said earlier about one of the, the impetus for for leaving uh, edX is, you know, you were caught between this should do and what we're allowed to do. Yeah. In the brave new world of creating your own industry, there's, I, on one hand, there's not a lot you're not allowed to do, yeah. but yet you are doing medical genetic things that have a lot of what is allowed and what isn't. Or are you navigating like how to help build those guardrails for the whole industry? Yeah. Well, I mean, one nice thing about dogs is they don't care about their privacy all that much, right? Or so, haven't talked about it yet. You know, know. Right. right. Um, <laughs> so, I, I mean, it is easier to gather this information, you know, unlike a 23andMe or an Ancestry, it's just fundamentally easier to gather this information. Dogs are also a lot more consistent. They eat the same food mostly every day, um, you know, that type of thing. So, so there's, I think there are some pieces where you just like remove those barriers full stop. I think there are other places where we have to then figure out what it is that we're going to like, you know, this is probably more like TripAdvisor where in the early days of TripAdvisor, you know, why would I go online and write a review of a hotel, right? Why would I read someone else's reviews to pick my hotel? I'll just ask a travel agent, right? Where, you know, five years later, people were like, of course I'm going to read reviews, right? It's just like, you know, and if there's no reviews, I'm not going to go. And so we have the opportunity here to like, I think, create this industry. I think the thing that's going to be really fascinating or one thing that's emerging is really fascinating is that 
people like think about their pet health the way they think about their own health, right? So like, oh, well, if I'm on a keto diet, right, you know, clearly my dog should be on a keto diet. diet. And it's like, well, no, it doesn't work that way, right? So, so I think there's all these like, there's all the myths of human health industry that get projected onto pets that I think is actually going to be one of the challenging things to break through. This is so exciting. Okay, so I'm actually, I'm trying to think of that Adam that I knew 25 years ago, not so different, at least from my standpoint, as the Adam I'm seeing right now. Hmm. But when, yeah, we we all have that. So when you were so certain that strategy consulting was for you, were you thinking because that's going to be a stair step to some other stuff that I can't even imagine now? Or were you like, I am going to be a consultant and worldwide people are going to hear my message and I will always be a consultant? Did you have that yeah, path thought? I, I definitely thought more of the latter. And I, I think in on reflection, you know, I, I think that a big part of my journey uh, over the last 25 years has been like trying to like tamp down that ego of, you know, that high school kid that's like good at school and competitive and like, you know, all these things. And that doesn't mean, you know, I'm fond of telling people that I work with that like I have strong opinions and I try to keep them loosely held. And uh, I do, I have strong opinions about everything. And, And in a vacuum, I will share them all. But I think what I've been able to maybe get some control over is the need to be the smartest person in the room, right? And the need to be the loudest voice in the room. And I think going into consulting, coming out of Dartmouth, I think I saw an avenue to do that, like to be that, you know, smart person, strong opinions, not loosely held, all those sort of things. And and it really took a while to realize that you know, that was not how I was going to like be most successful. And and quite frankly, there were smarter people than me that, you know, in consulting uh, that, that, that I wasn't going to be the, you know, I wasn't going to be that smartest person in the room all the time. Yeah. I would say you'd be among them though, Adam. And I think the, the choices that you've made for the reasons you've made them have really suited you and have certainly benefited the companies and industries that you've been in. It's exciting to see you kind of forging this new territory. And I'm just really pleased that you shared this story with all of us. Yeah, thanks. It's been fun. That was Adam Medros, a driver of world change through businesses in a variety of sectors. He's currently COO of Embark, the world leader in dog genetics. Find out more at EmbarkVet, that's E-M-B-A-R-K-V-E-T dot com. It is so fun to embark on these roads of reflection with my guests each week. To continue to come along for the ride, please follow us wherever you get your podcasts, leave a review to help others find us, or tell a friend to check us out at roadstakenshow.com. We so appreciate that you listen, and we'd love to welcome new listeners to join me, Leslie Jennings Rowley, for more episodes of Roads Taken.